Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. Welcome to the show where we explore the intersection of identity, social media, and technology. This is another installment of our weekly roundup of news that you might have missed on the internet this week. Joey, thank you so much for being here. As I was telling you, I am... Coming to you from my hotel room in beautiful Burlington, Vermont. I'm at the Hotel Vermont. Shout out to them. They've been great. Um, Thank you for being here. Of course. Okay, so we were talking about this off mic, and I was like, I wonder if they have heard about this Who the F Did I Marry saga on TikTok. And you were like, oh, what is this Who the F Did I Marry? So you have not heard about this at all from TikTok. I have not, no. (laughs) So let me explain to you what is going on. So this woman on TikTok basically told this epic story about essentially how her marriage fell apart. It was in 50 parts. So 50 separate 10 minute TikToks. All together, it was 500 minutes of viewing time or about eight and a half hours. When I tell you that I watched the entire thing, I was watching this TikTok as if I was listening to an audiobook or like listening to a podcast where I was carrying my phone around my apartment being like, oh, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And so essentially, her story is one where she 
was engaged to marry this guy or mar- married this guy. Um, she thought he, like, she had been telling her, like, oh, I'm the VP of a company. Um, I'm really close to my family and to my cousins, blah, blah, blah. And it turned, and he was getting up every morning and having these, like, jovial conversations with his brother and his cousins and his families and his friends. And it turns out that he had been doing this for years, but he was just, pretending to have these conversations so there was never anybody on the other end of the phone because his family has been estranged and no contact from him for years he said that he was a vp at a condiment company turns out in reality he was like a forklift operator he basically had invented all of these bank statements from chase from chase bank talking about like oh like this is how much money i have in the bank because they were going to buy a house together like it, this thing went deep. It was 50 separate parts. She got 150 million different people watching this story, hanging on her every word. Uh, overnight, essentially, she got a million followers through sharing this story. And I will say, like, people listening might be like, wow, you've dedicated eight and a half hours of your life to listening to the drama of a stranger, people that you'll never meet. Yeah, I did, because she is a very good storyteller. I was hanging on every word. So... I guess my question to you to start off is that would you air out some truly wild personal story or personal drama if you knew that it would equal like overnight social media fame? Because right now this woman is she's in talks with like big brands and like people are like, oh, Shonda Rhimes should make her (laughs) life into a movie like she like she's made it. Would you do that if you knew it was going to make you like famous overnight? Damn. Um, <laughs> I want to say no, um, just because I feel like, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword where, like, I feel like people are going to turn on you really quick. Like, something's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, damn, that's crazy, though. That I feel like that level of, like, A, I feel like I wouldn't want to admit to the public that I fell for that. Like, I'd feel bad. Like, which, no, no no shade to her. Like, whatever. But I'm kind of like, I feel like I'd be like, I wouldn't want people to know that I fell for that. I didn't even Google the guy or whatever. But, um, yeah, at the same time, that's, that's crazy. Can't, I don't know. I feel like I will never truly know social media fame or infamy because I don't, I don't have this, I don't have... This kind of like, I couldn't, there's nothing in my life that I could do a 50 part TikTok on. I don't have personal drama. There's nothing like wild going on in my life. I guess, thank God. But like, part of me is like, damn, do you really have to like, have some wild stuff happening in your personal life and be willing to like, really air out all the details in order to find some kind of social media success these days? Okay, so my one point of reference is that I had somebody try to do this to a friend of mine. Um, (gasps) Which, <laughs> um, it wasn't successful. Also, like ninety percent of it was fake. It was a weird, like, <laughs> it was a weird situation. But um, I don't know. I, I, I personally, I feel like I see this a lot on TikTok. Like, especially when you get into like more niche TikTok communities too. Like, there's always some sort of personal beef between creators that like blows up and like becomes a huge thing. And I'm like, I like when you step back, it's sort of like who like this is not any of my business like what is going on (laughs) yeah I feel the same way and it's funny when I first started making the podcast it it was 
very important to me that someone listening to the show could never be like, oh, it's just a summary of like TikTok beefs or Twitter beefs (laughs) or who's canceling who on Twitter. And I see so much of that. But like, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm above finding the interpersonal drama and dynamics of strangers interesting because Lord knows I'm fascinated. But, you know, (laughs) It, it's it's out there. You should tell if your if your friend wants social media fame and can like tell the story over fifty very compelling TikToks. Now is the time. There's a hunger for it, dude. There's all the, I, that's the thing is like you know the last time I was on we were talking about the like lesbian bar drama and it's funny because I feel like that is the version of like where it backfired. Where like I think she was doing this. I think she thought she was like getting her her beef out there and using I don't know but it's, it's like <laughs> I think she was intending to use it for personal gain and then it backfired in a way that made her look bad and that's why yes. I'm like I don't know I feel like there's some there's some sort of like detail I'd miss that it would, everybody would go after me you know right right like oh well Joey didn't consider this yeah. before telling the story <laughs> like I was sorry <laughs> yeah you live by yeah. the you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You gotta be careful airing out your beef on social media. It's great advice. Hey, so this is Future Bridget. Um, the New York Times just published a groundbreaking story today looking at so-called instamoms who run accounts for their very young minor daughters. The piece was published after Joey and I recorded this episode, but I still really wanted to let y'all know about it, which is why I'm popping in here. Just a heads up, this is dark. Basically, parents, mostly moms, to be honest, are running Instagram accounts for their minor daughters who are as young as five years old. Now, some of these accounts are ostensibly about showcasing their daughter's modeling or competitive dancing or gymnastics. The accounts show their minor daughters in dance or gymnastics apparel, which can be skimpy or revealing and, you know, might look one way in a dance studio or on a dance stage, but looks very different when posed in photos on social media. It's complicated because some of these moms may genuinely feel like running these kinds of accounts for their daughters could be good for a future career as a model or an influencer. Some of the moms are getting free or discounted clothing and are hopeful about brand deals from these accounts. It's gross because at least some of these moms who run the pages really do seem like they think this is going to be a good thing for their daughters or their families financially, but maybe don't seem to be that concerned with what it's actually doing to their daughters. Like, becoming an influencer cannot be worth this. Because for a lot of these accounts, the followers aren't just brands or, you know, well-meaning family members. The followers are grown men, strangers, creeps, who leave really sexually inappropriate comments on the pictures. Now, I should say, some of the moms the New York Times talked to are actively managing the accounts, deleting creepy men followers and their comments. But other moms are encouraging these kinds of comments and even arranging for the men to have more and more direct contact with their daughters for money, like through paying for subscriptions to exclusive content on Instagram, allowing the men to buy the daughters used clothing, or even arranging private chats. So it's pretty clear what's going on. I don't think that you could be a parent who is arranging this kind of thing and be totally naive to what's going on. And Instagram is really not doing enough compared to other platforms to stamp out this kind of behavior. In fact, they're really kind of doing nothing in my book. In 2022, Instagram launched paid subscriptions, which allow followers to pay a monthly fee for exclusive content and access. Now, accounts for anybody under the age of 18 are not supposed to be able to do subscriptions, but mom-run accounts sidestep that restriction. The Times found dozens that charged from $0.99 to $19.99, 
At the highest price, parents offered Ask Me Anything chat sessions and behind-the-scenes photos. Child safety experts warned that subscriptions and other features could lead to unhealthy interactions, with men believing they have a special connection to the girls and girls believing they must meet these men's needs. So Instagram is basically like uniquely establishing a pathway that allows for minor girls and adults to be connected and get exclusive access to them. And what in the world would there be any legitimate reason for a grown man to be paying for exclusive access to a child? Like on some level, I cannot I cannot imagine a world where these moms truly are so naive to what is going on. And some of the men who follow these kinds of accounts are actual child abusers. Even though Instagram is supposed to not allow anybody who is on the sex offender registry to use the platform, the Times traced the account of some of the followers. And one of them who follows these kinds of accounts was convicted of sexually assaulting a child and is listed on the New Jersey sex offender registry. And Instagram did not remove this account until the Times asked them about it for this piece. On Telegram, an alternative social media platform, these men connect with each other and trade images for abusive means. Men in these groups frequently praise the advent of Instagram as the golden age for child exploitation. I'm so glad for these new moms pimping their daughters out, wrote one of them, and there's an infinite supply of it. Literally just refresh your Instagram Explore page and there's fresh preteens. Some of these men even go further and cultivate business or patronage relationships with the moms by sending the the moms cash or gifts or other things, and also trying to pressure or blackmail the moms into posting more and more revealing outfits. One mom described it as her girls becoming a kind of currency. Now, there again, there are moms who it sounds like are trying to keep men like this off of their accounts, but those moms are basically blocked by Instagram itself. Meta failed to act on multiple reports made by parents and even restricted parents who tried to police their own followers, according to interviews and materials provided by these parents. If the parents block too many accounts in one day, Meta curtails their ability to block or follow others, they said. I remember being told, like, I've reached my limit, said a mother of two dancers in Arizona who declined to be named. Like, what? I reached my limit of pedophiles for today? Okay, great. And sometimes, even in the most egregious, explicit cases, like a man who propositioned a mom offering her $65,000 for one hour with her minor daughter in a DM, Instagram still did nothing when she reported it. Now, in response to these reports, Meta said that either those communications did not violate Instagram's community guidelines or that staff didn't have time to review them. In other cases, Meta told parents that it relied on its, quote, technology to determine the content was probably not a violation. So there is just no way to spin that. This is Instagram allowing their platform to be used for nefarious ways by creeps who are endangering children and doing fuck all about it. So I really want to talk about what's going on here. One, Instagram isn't doing enough. And I think that they've really been counting on bad press around Twitter and TikTok to not have to answer for the ways that they've allowed their platform to become, as one of the men who follows these accounts put it, quote, a candy store for abusive child content. And I also think there is a lot going on with these moms. Like, I don't think anyone should have to deal with a creep exploiting their kids, and no young person should have to go through it either. These girls should be able to decide how they want to show up online, but they're so young, they can't possibly understand and consent to this kind of digital presence. Some of the moms the Times spoke to said things like, oh, she's been doing this for so long now. Her numbers are so big. What are we supposed to do? Just stop it and walk away. And 
yes, of course, you can just stop this and walk away. If you are a parent, it is your job to keep your kid safe. And if you know that creeps like this are out there and exploiting your kid, you should be able to be the adult in the room and say, we are going to stop this and walk away. The promise of Instafame and free stuff from brands cannot be worth the well-being and health of your child. Let's take a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. And we're back. So we have to sort of switch gears and I have to give a bit of a warning for this story because it is deeply heartbreaking and deeply disturbing. And I just want to say that right off the top. Um, It is a truly heartbreaking story out of Oklahoma and it's still developing, but I can tell you what we know as of right now. So next Benedict, a 16-year-old Oklahoma high school sophomore was beaten by three girl classmates in the bathroom of Owasso High School on February 7th. The next day, February 8th, next, who identified with the two-spirit, transgender, and gender nonconforming umbrella, was declared dead at a hospital. So 
There is a very detailed piece in Teen Vogue by non-binary journalist Lex McMenamin, who points out that according to Freedom Oklahoma, it is not apparently clear what pronouns Benedict used. So in this conversation, I'm going to refrain from using any pronouns. Uh, According to this piece, a lot of what we have heard about what might have happened comes from an anonymous source who says that they are a family friend. And this person told a local news outlet that the cause of Nex's death was, quote, complications from brain trauma, and that three older girls were beating the victim and her daughter in this girl's bathroom at the school. So this source said that Nex said that Nex couldn't walk to the nurse's station without assistance and that the school did not call an ambulance. This is a little bit murky to me because I've seen conflicting sources and conflicting reports. Uh, The school claims that they were unaware that the fight happened until they were informed by a parent. But then on February 20th, the school kind of backtracked, acknowledging that the students saw the school nurse after the altercation. So it's not totally clear to me what actually happened. Like the school said one thing, but another. um, I'm not totally sure what's going on there. Um, But here is what next texted after the attack. I got jumped at school three on one, had to go to the ER. They had been bullying me and my friends and I got tired of it. So I poured some water on them and all three came after me. School did not report to the police and is probably getting sued. Nex's guardian, Sue Benedict, told The Independent that she was called to the school to find Nex had been badly beaten with face bruises. Uh, Sue Benedict says that her child told her that the attack involved Nex's head hitting the ground. So Benedict says that the school told her that Nex was going to be suspended for two, two weeks. Nex's guardian brought Nex to the hospital right after the fight, was discharged. The very next day, Nex ended up collapsing at home. Nex's guardian called an ambulance who took Nex to the hospital where Nex was then pronounced dead. Uh, it's very heartbreaking. I have to be clear that like we don't have all the information. A lot of these reports are still coming together and still being confirmed. If we get more information, we will definitely update you. But this is what I was able to confirm myself as of recording on Thursday evening. So according to a piece in The Independent, Next began being bullied at the beginning of 2023, a few months after Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed a bill that required public school students to use bathrooms that matched the sex listed on their birth certificates. Um, As of right now, we do not know Nex's uh, cause of death. The police issued a subsequent statement on the 21st of February saying that an autopsy indicated that Nex had not died as a result of trauma, but that didn't say what might have caused Nex's death. The police said, while the investigation continues into the altercation, preliminary information from the medical examiner's office is that a complete autopsy was performed and indicated that the decedent did not die as a result of trauma. But the family is also going to do their own independent investigation into the death as well. So that is what we know in terms of facts about what happened. But something else that we know is that Nex's death isn't happening in a vacuum, right? It's happening against the backdrop of an entire wave of increasingly violent anti-LGBTQ climate in Oklahoma specifically. Oklahoma leads the nation in terms of anti-LGBTQ laws. Uh, Joey, you and I talked about this just a couple of weeks ago when you were on the show, but in Oklahoma's school district, Oklahoma's Republican superintendent of public schools, Ryan Walters, recently appointed the far-right hate-mongering influencer, Chaya Rachik, who runs the inflammatory Libs of TikTok account. Um, So 
Reichick was appointed to be on the Oklahoma Education Department's Library Media Advisory Committee, despite the fact that, as we said, she's not an Oklahoma resident, doesn't have a child in the Oklahoma school system, um, does not have a background in education. She's a realtor. It's not clear why she would be someone who would be a good person to elevate within Oklahoma public schools, other than the fact that she has these like very public anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans views that she makes very clear from her TikTok account. Reichick's anti-LGBTQ posts have been linked to nearly three dozen threats made towards schools, libraries, hospitals, and businesses across 16 states. This is according to an NBC News investigation. And so it's pretty clear to me, like it's very clear what the kind of statement Oklahoma Public Schools is trying to send when they amplify somebody like Libs of TikTok to a position like this within the school system. And I think it's like, you, it's it's very difficult to talk about what happened to next without also talking about this very hateful climate that's happening in Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely. I saw this story come out um, right after next had died, and yeah, this is just so heartbreaking, and and I cannot. Yeah, like. It's just, it's so heartbreaking and it's so clear that, yeah, like there's like, that's connected. There's definitely a connection there. Hey, this is kind of like, this is the end game of a lot of like this sort of rhetoric and like the kind of things that like lives, lives of TikTok and all that, like what they're trying to do. They're trying to prevent trans people from existing. And a lot of times that ends in people dying you know and that is horrifying and i yeah this this is truly such just such a like tragic story it really is and i've i mean i think that you're exactly right that you can't have all of these different ways where queer folks and trans folks and gender nonconforming folks are being given the message that they, that the people in power the powers that be don't want them to exist. They want to criminalize them. They want to legislate them out of existence and then act surprised when this kind of thing happens. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is also the 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 other, the other side of that is that it empowers the other kids that killed next. Like they're probably mo- their motivation or their kind of the reasons they did what they did was motivated also by this kind of rhetoric and the fact that this rhetoric has become like normalized. Um, and like the messages they're hearing are probably telling them that this was something that was okay and justifiable. That's such a good point. And I think, you know, kids are absorbing these messages. They're hearing these messages. You know, it just doesn't surprise me that kids in this, in Nexus school saw Nex as someone it was okay to bully, someone that it was open season on and that the adults at the school what were they going to say? Because they're doing it too, right? Like, I, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of people framing this story as like kids bullying kids, like teach your kids to be better. But we are talking about grown adults who are passing laws that harm kids, right? Like Chaya Rachik from Limbs of TikTok is in her 30s, right? She's not a child. And if you're curious, like, what is she doing on Twitter right now? Well, right now she is misgendering next, even in death. She is on Twitter tonight misgendering a dead child. So no, it is not kids bullying kids when you've got adults who are setting a very clear agenda 
that criminalizes and demonizes LGBTQ youth, right? Like, it's just like very clear to me that we're not talking just about like kids being awful to other kids. The adults in the room who are supposed to be setting a different example are making it clear that this is going to be tolerated, that this is okay, and participating in it themselves. According to The Independent, one of Nexus teachers was actually featured in a secretly filmed video on Libs of TikTok in April of 2022. This teacher was filmed telling students, if your parents don't accept you for who you are, fuck them. After a very big backlash, this teacher had to resign. And according to Nexus Guardian, Nex was really angry about this. And to put this in a larger context beyond just Libs of TikTok, Last year, a court ruled that Oklahoma can enforce its law banning and criminalizing gender-affirming care for trans minors while a suit against it is heard. So that law would make providing gender-affirming care in Oklahoma a felony. And so, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, it's impossible for me to talk about what happened to next without putting it in that larger context where adults who really should know better are creating the conditions for this kind of violence. And I think we need to be really clear about the agenda that they're setting and not let them feign ignorance and not let them be like, oh, well, I don't want anyone to get hurt. That is a very obvious example of what is called stochastic terror, right? Where you don't necessarily explicitly come out and say, like, I want you to harm trans people or I want you to do harassing things to trans people. But you're not not saying that. It's all very wink, wink, nod, nod. And I think for too long, we have let these people get away with exactly that. Like, I don't like that Libs of TikTok is able to be like, they're accusing me of killing this young person. And all I do is, is you know, post videos from Nexus School that that criminalize transness and queerness and anybody who would support that. It's like, well, that is kind of what you're doing. You don't really get to say that you're not doing it when that's what's going on. Yeah, exactly. She stokes violence. Like, what she does, she the purpose of her account is to stoke violence. And, like, you know, this is, I get, like, yeah, this is what people have been saying. Like, this is going to lead to kids dying. Uh, and, yeah, we're seeing that happen. We're, like, you know, I just, like, yeah, Dex should still be alive. This is just such a, like, terrible story. And it's so clear, like who's at fault here and what sort of narratives are at fault. And yeah, it's just horrifying. Yeah. Uh, Matt Bernstein put it really well. Uh, Matt says, you took away their books. You took away their healthcare. You took away their ability to use the right bathroom. You fired the teachers who kept them safe. You demonized them on television and on Twitter, all in the name of quote, protecting children. And I guess I just feel like when people talk about protecting children, it's like, what about children like next? I feel like all of this, so much of like what's happening right now, it's literally just grown adults trying to excuse the fact that they still want to bully children. Like they still, it is like literally like, not to like psychoanalyze this or whatever, but like literally it feels like these are just people that never got over like whatever high school bully phase they went through and they're mad that they can't like... Like the that yeah that that things are I don't know it is just it is grown adults bullying children and bullying children to the point where they're putting them in danger and that is so like disgusting and terrifying about this whole thing. Yes, and it's like bullying children under the guise of protecting children. If you were protecting children, next would still be alive. Like 
this is not protecting children. This is bullying children. This is living out some kind of a fucked up high school fantasy against a target that you perceive as vulnerable and unable to protect themselves. And that is, I think that you're exactly right. I think that's exactly what it is. And yeah, next should still be alive. I hate that this is a story that we're even having to talk about, but it is, it's what's going on. It's what's happening in Oklahoma. And I, I really feel for the community there, for Nexus community, who is grieving and is just constant, even in grief, even in death, just constantly getting signals that this is okay. Like the superintendent of Nexus school didn't even put out a statement, didn't even, didn't even say anything. If, if, a, if a young person dies in one of your schools, it, it's just like these people are ghouls. Like I, I can't even like, I don't even know what to say at a certain point. If, if you are a superintendent of a school and a child dies in the school bathroom of a school in which you are meant to be kind of in charge of and you don't even say anything because you know that you've spent the last few years creating a toxic, violent environment for kids like the one that died, we are, it is really bad. It is really bad. My heart breaks for Next. My heart breaks for Next's family and community. And if we get more information about what's going on in this story, we will definitely give you an update. Let's take a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. 
No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. But this also feeds into how LGBTQ youth are treated online, which actually does bring me to an update that we have about the Kids Online Safety Act this week. So for folks who don't know, the Kids Online Safety Act, otherwise known as COSA, is ostensibly about regulating how social media platforms operate for younger users to protect them. If, you, that you, if you're hearing scare quotes in my voice, they're there. Um, but kind of sounds like a way to suppress and criminalize LGBTQ folks on content. That's not me saying this. I'm saying this because like explicitly that is how people behind it have spoken about it and further surveil and censor us all, which is why as much as we want a safer internet for all of us, children, adults, all of us, I would say like, in these parts, we have not been too thrilled about this specific legislation. Joey, what, how would you how would you describe your thoughts on it? Yeah, I I, I think <laughs> uh, not necessarily thrilled. Puts it pretty well. Might be a little bit of an understatement. Uh, COSA is a very concerning piece of legislation that I think uh, does not do much to achieve the goal that it says it is created to do, uh, which I gu- I'm guessing we're going to get into <laughs> a lot of what it does actually do. And yeah, it's not not great. Not excited about this one. Yeah, I'm not excited about it either. I It's tough for me because I've always generally taken the position on the podcast of like, I will typically shy away from advocating for or against specific legislation. However, on this one, I feel like I have to be clear about my reservations about it. Although I don't want to make it seem like it is widely being panned because I went to an event not that long ago. Actually, the group that put on the event you talked about in your very comprehensive Sminty episode, I went to, it's like youth designing better something. Oh, design it for us. Yes, that was okay. it. Yes. Okay, designed for us, just for the record. So this is a group that claims to be a coalition of young activists and organizations fighting for social media and online platforms, kids, teen, young adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it is supposed to be led by young people. It is about the internet. Why do they have less than a thousand Instagram followers? <laughs> they have currently 865 Instagram followers. Like, I'm sorry. I know, like, young people use social media. This is the target group that should be on Instagram to follow you. And also, you are claiming to understand how the internet works. Yeah. I don't know. I went, uh, producer Mike and myself went to their, like, they had a kickoff event in D.C. And we went. It is, I mean, I will just say I agree with you. Like, (laughs) I I think, I I mean, like, this is just my opinion. And I want to be clear that I... I don't think that COSA is good legislation. And there are lots of organizations, some of whom I trust and like and have worked with, some of whom I don't really know much about and maybe are a little skeptical about, you know, uh, who feel differently about it. But I have to say how I feel like you're listening to this podcast to get my take. And I have to be honest about that take, which is that I am suspect of this legislation. 
And if you want more information, like a really good deep dive, Joey actually did an amazing Stuff Mom Never Told You episode breaking down some of the concerns and issues and origins of the Kids Online Safety Act and the way that it could really change the internet, not just for young people, but for everybody. So I definitely recommend anybody interested, check that out. Um, So I feel like I'm kind of here with a a COSA expert a little bit. Oh, um, (laughs) thank you. I try. I watched a lot of TikToks for that episode. (laughs) So uh, some might call me an expert. Yes. So here's what's going on. So this week, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced his support for COSA. The bill also secured 15 new sponsors, including Schumer, for a total of 62 co-sponsors in the Senate, which would give the bill enough votes to pass in the Senate. So we're actually a lot closer to this bill becoming reality. Earlier, when this bill was first introduced, y'all might remember that LGBTQ rights groups had been loudly objecting to COSA because of provisions that could be interpreted specifically at the state level by attorneys general as defining what kind of content is harmful to children. You know, after talking about what happened to Next, it doesn't take a fortune teller to assume that it would probably include lawmakers and attorneys general being like, oh, it is content pertaining to LGBTQ people that is harmful and thus needs to be, you know, kept from youth on the internet. We don't even really have to like speculate because Marsha Blackburn and the Heritage Foundation very clearly and explicitly stated their intentions to use COSA to censor LGBTQ content. So this is not me like gleaning or reading tea leaves. This is me just listening to the words that they said in very plain, explicit, clear English. So that's why LGBTQ groups were not down with COSA initially. But this week, The Hill reports that several LGBTQ advocacy organizations dropped their opposition to the Kids Online Safety Act after the sponsors updated the text, inching the bill even closer to passing. So the groups include GLAAD, GLSEN, the Human Rights Campaign, PFLAG, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the National Center for Transgender Equality, and the Trevor Project. All of these groups got together and sent a letter to Blumenthal, one of the sponsors of this bill, withdrawing their opposition following updates to the legislation. The letter reads, When COSA was first introduced, we had serious concerns that the bill could open the door to bad actors weaponizing the law to suppress affirming content for LGBTQ young people. Some early supporters of COSA even touted this is how they intended to use the law. The considerable changes that you have proposed to COSA in the draft released on February 15th significantly mitigate the risk of being misused to suppress LGBTQ plus resources or stifle young people's access to online communities. As such, if this draft of the bill moves forward, our organizations will not oppose its passage. So yeah, I guess some of these LGBTQ plus advocacy organizations are like, listen, if this moves on and becomes the law of the land, we will no longer object. Yeah. um, I don't know. I'm, I'm still... I feel like if you are creating a law and the intention of the law that you create when you create it is to block kids and teenagers aspects to anything to do with like queerness or any like gender nonconformity or anything uh in my opinion it's kind of hard to redeem that and to find a way to be like no actually we fixed it so it's not homophobic and transphobic anymore <laughs> uh cuz like that's the point of the bill that you like you you outright said that this is why you're making this bill and i don't like what's the point of i don't know and but yeah, I guess, you know, I, I guess at least it won't be suppressing queer content anymore. It'll just be suppressing every other 
issue that we have, you know, going on in the world right now. Is yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So one of the LGBTQ advocacy organizations' big beef with the previous draft of the bill was the bill's duty of care standard, which was meant to mitigate the promotion of harmful content and the use of harmful or addictive features for teens and kids online. But again, could be interpreted to deem anything involving, you know, LGBTQ content as harmful and thus kept away from kids, right? So like it just had a pretty broad interpretation of what harmful content was and kind of left it up to states to decide what is or is not harmful content. So in this updated version of the bill, the duty of care is clarified to focus on the design features and components of the platform rather than on the content hosted on those platforms. There is also a new bit added that says that the provisions in the bill cannot be the basis of any action brought by a state attorney general under a state law. So I can see how they're trying to tinker with it so that it's not just like left up to, you know, specific attorneys generals at the state level to decide how to interpret this law. So this is tricky, right? Like, I do agree that some of these changes made make the bill less obviously horrible. I will be the first person to acknowledge that. However, I am still, like you, Joey, just kind of not buying it. And this is my opinion. So like, take that for what it's worth. I think that COSA is still a bill that will lead to all of us having to give over more information and more data in the name of keeping kids safe. Namely, I'm talking about age restrictions. Local governments already sell our private information and data to data, to data brokers, right? Like we know this. So I am to believe that requiring children and also everyone else to give over more data to tech companies and more like our, our government IDs is going to keep us safe and keep our, our data more private. I'm sorry. I simply do not believe this. Like this is not, I, I just like, it's not a circle that I can square. I simply do not believe it. I am completely against age restrictions in this way because I don't think it makes sense to hand over more of our data to tech companies in order to achieve better data privacy. It just like does not make sense to me, does not compute. If somebody smarter than me out there doesn't agree and wants to explain to me how this is actually keeping anybody safer, I would love to hear it. But from my understanding, I just cannot see how it actually will. Yeah, I think especially like the U.S. is so we do not have data privacy laws and like we are so behind on that like like in comparison to like Europe or whatever so it's like it's so it's so especially kind of almost like insulting to like have this bill be introduced and be like framed as this thing that's about safety but like it's it's just making the actual safety concern like more dangerous and more like likely to happen to you I don't know. Again, I feel like this is, and I said this in the episode that I did with Sminty, like, imagine having to put your full name and, like, your ID info and all of that in when you just want to use the internet. Like, I don't know. That just, that seems to be not a good thing, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, again, I guess that's not universal that we all want data privacy, I guess. I don't know. Well, you know what, Shoei? You and I are not the only people who feel this way. In a piece called Don't Fall for the Latest Changes to the Dangerous Kids Online Safety Act on the Electronic Frontier Foundation's blog, which we'll link to in the show notes, they argue exactly that, right? They say that this updated version of the bill is still a vehicle for online censorship and increased surveillance, which we already know deeply impacts marginalized communities. So they write, in light of the overall politicization of youth education and online activity, 
We believe the following groups, just to name a few, will be endangered. LGBTQ plus youth will be at risk of having content, educational material, and their own online identities erased. Young people searching for sexual health and reproductive rights information will find their search results stymied. Teens and children in historically oppressed and marginalized groups will be unable to locate information about their history and shared experiences. Activist youth on either side of the aisle, such as those fighting for changes to climate laws, gun laws, or religious rights, will be siloed and unable to advocate and connect on platforms. Young people seeking mental health help and information will be blocked from finding it because even discussions of suicide, depression, anxiety, and eating disorders will be hidden from them. Teens hoping to combat the problem of addiction, either their own or that of friends and families and neighbors, will not have the resources they need to do so. Any young person seeking truthful news or information that can be considered depressing will find it harder to educate themselves and engage in current events and honest discussion. Adults in any of these groups who are unwilling to share identities will find themselves shunted onto a second-class internet alongside the young people who have been denied access to this information. They go on to say, We shouldn't kid ourselves that the latest version of COSA will stop state officials from targeting vulnerable communities. And COSA leaves all of the bill's censorial powers with the FTC, a five-person commission nominated by the president. This allows a small group of federal officials appointed by the president to decide what content is dangerous for young people. Placing this enforcement power with the FTC is still a First Amendment problem. No government official, state or federal, has the power to dictate by law what people can read online. And that blog post really confirms my feelings on on this legislation, even the updated version. Like, I understand that these groups that I respect and that I think do good work are saying that they largely no longer take issue with it in the way that in, in the way they did before. But I still think it's pretty scary. And I just I, I'm doing a bit of future casting, imagining another Trump presidency where President Trump has the ability to nominate this five-person FTC commission and essentially can decide what people can read and post about online. It is pretty scary. It is. And I think even beyond just thinking about the future, like we're in the middle of a like crackdown on on information and content that's coming out about Palestine and about what's happening in Palestine and a crackdown on protesters. Um like in in New York where I live, there've been multiple incidents of protesters either being attacked by counter protesters and like kind of not you know that the, the the police kind of clearly taking a side and letting certain actions slide versus others or instances where people were being arrested just for using slogans or for putting up stickers like this isn't there's an active crackdown on free speech that is happening under this administration and um I think this is why, like, this, I'm disappointed but not surprised. And I think in a lot of these, like, LGBT organizations, because I think there really is, which is, this is a whole other conversation about kind of mainstream LGBTQ plus, like, nonprofits and all of that. But I, I think, like, what's happening is kind of a lack of, a refusal to show solidarity with other marginalized groups because it's almost like saying like, oh, okay, we have a little bit of reassurance that this isn't going to affect us, but like, we're going to let it happen to other people. And all you know, and all these groups intersect too, you know, lots of, lots of queer people deal with mental health issues. A lot of queer people also deal with issues of like, you know, other like oppression because they're other, like part of our other marginalized groups as well. Um, yeah. I, something I, I saw talking about this latest, uh, update brought up something that I I hadn't really 
thought about it this way, but it, it the 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 speaker was talking about how like Kosa comes from this place where it's the assumption is that social media and the internet is bad for children. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Like there's no benefits from it. Um and they were like encouraging people to share stories about how social media or the internet has helped them because like it's helped them get out of like, you know, like a difficult situation or find community and all of that. And I think like and we've talked about in the show, like I I personally have like found a lot of community through the internet. Uh I've also experienced a lot of the bad sides of the internet, but I've seen the good too. It has also helped me deal with, you know, mental health issues, like, you know, depression and all that in the past. Uh, that being said, I also, you know, can see how it's made certain issues worse. And it particularly, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I was on Tumblr when, like, there was a lot of glorification of, like, eating disorders. But also the internet, yeah, like, it, but, but it ultimately is just kind of a... It's like we've created this new, like, space for people to be. And it's it's hard to, you know, just sort of preventing people from talking about things full stop because they can lead to harmful things happening or or, or complicated discussions or whatever. Like that doesn't that's not effective. And again, like when you especially when you list out all of these things that are still going to be affected by this legislation, it's so clear to see like, yeah, like you know, the Heritage Foundation <laughs> might not be super happy that they're, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to repress queer content, but they also have, they have stakes in trying to repress content about reproductive health and sexual health and about, you know, certain activist groups or, or uh, struggles or whatever. Like, there's still kind of a political motivation there that I think, um, has really scary implications for all of us and really scary implications for just like freedom of speech in general. Yeah, I'm glad that you phrased it that way. And I want to be clear, I'm, I don't I don't think that any president ha- should have the power to like pick the five person group who gets to decide like what issues are okay and what issues aren't. But I think that there might, I, I guess I say that to say that like, I think there might be people, I am not one of them, but I think there might be people listening who are like, well, you know, Biden would be fine if, if if Biden had that power, it would be okay. And the answer is no, it wouldn't be yeah. okay because, as you said, there is currently a crackdown on all kinds of speech and all kinds of political and social expressions with Biden in the White House. So, no, that's not the case. But also, like, no president should have that power. Full stop. And I think you're exactly right that against the backdrop of I don't know, I can only really call it like a very chilling era of a crackdown on free expression happening before our very eyes, but in this like almost gaslighty way where it's like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like a very weird time. I'm sorry, Bridget. Are you saying that with Biden as president, we can't just go back to brunch? We can just go back to brunch. (laughs) Listen, if Biden was in the White House, I wouldn't be in the streets. I would be at brunch, Joey. (laughs) Oh, my God. Of course. (laughs) Everything's fine. Everything's great. (laughs) More after a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, 
your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Let's get right back into it. Okay, so speaking of everything being on fire and awful, (laughs) I regret to inform you that new AI-generated deepfakes have just dropped. I almost didn't include this because, Lord, am I tired of talking about this. Like, I hope the day comes that I can shut up about this and it doesn't have to be something I'm talking about all the time. But unfortunately, that day is not today because podcaster Bobby Althoff. Do you know Bobby Althoff? Her thing is kind of like, she. people call her like a Nepo baby or an industry plant. Her thing is kind of like doing cringy, kind of awkward interviews with like rappers. Do you know Bobby? I don't, but I, I do get a lot of those like TikToks where it's like a random clip from a, from a podcast that seems like it would be this kind of thing. Okay, so you've probably yeah. seen Bobby's podcast clip. Yeah, yeah. So Bobby is just the latest target of viral AI non-consensual deepfake videos, specifically on Twitter. So as we've talked about on the show, this has happened a lot before. Unfortunately, it happened to Taylor Swift. It happened to Marvel star Social Gomez. Social Gomez is 17, so a minor. And with all of these viral deepfakes, all of them have really gotten a lot of traction, specifically on Twitter. And now a new report in the Washington Post is shedding light on why Twitter has kind of become the platform for deepfakes going viral. Now, I have to say, none of this is terribly surprising to me. If you listen to this podcast, (laughs) none of this is probably terribly surprising to you. Uh, It is the kind of thing that 
Like, I wonder, I wonder what yeah. it is. I wonder what the problem is. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you could guess. Honestly, I truly was going to add in a clip from an earlier podcast episode that we did when Elon Musk first took over Twitter and started making changes because literally I was like, oh, well, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I thought that would sound very obnoxious and probably like too smug because nobody likes somebody who says, I told you so. But listeners, just know I could have added that if I wanted to because it exists because you didn't have to be a fortune teller or a mind reader to tell the hell that the changes that Elon Musk made were was going to lead to on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I think I think you get to say I told you so. And yeah, you know what? I'm going to say it. <laughs> hey, Elon Musk, I told you so. So just like those Taylor Swift images, the images of Bobby Alpha started on message boards, so not on Twitter. When they first started on message boards, they had a relatively small audience. The post reports that the videos got 178,000 views over the last six months on message boards like 4chan. But then someone brought those videos to Twitter where they blew up this week. It was reposted so many times that Althoff's name was trending on the platform. In just nine hours, the clip received more than 4.5 million views, 25 times more than the porn site's viewership, according to data from an industry analyst. So one of the most popular posts on Twitter directing viewers to the video remained online for more than 30 hours. Another post, which promised to send the full Bobby Althoff leaks to everyone who like and comment, was online for 20 hours. Twitter only removed it after the Washington Post reached out to them for a comment on the fake videos. By the time the video was removed, it had been viewed more than 5 million times. So this is obviously a problem. And Twitter is a unique platform when it comes to how and why deepfakes spread so easily. So even though Twitter was one of the first platforms to outright ban uh, synthetic AI-generated content and deepfakes, this was long before Musk took over back in 2020. Twitter executives said that they recognized the threat of misleading synthetic media and they were committed to doing this right. But when Elon Musk took over, changes that he made early on to Twitter have basically gone on to make Twitter not just a place where people post deepfakes, but also a place where, where people can be ensured that their deepfakes will get lots of traction and lots of eyeballs. Like seriously, go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. You didn't have to be a, a genius or a rocket scientist to figure this out. So here's how the Post reports it. Under owner Elon Musk, X has now become one of the most powerful and prominent distribution channels for non-consensual deepfake porn. The platform not only helps the phony photos and videos go viral in a low-moderation environment, but it can also end up rewarding deepfake spreaders who use manipulated porn to make a buck. So the way that Elon is running Twitter has basically turned the platform into a deepfake marketplace. And also advertising machine where bad actors can make money by exploiting women through these gross fake photos. If there is one thing that I hope that people take away from this, this bit of the show is that it is not just creeps posting gross fake images of women. It is creeps who are making money posting fake images of women. And Twitter is enabling them to do so more effectively by giving them money for doing it and by essentially allowing them to market and advertise their creepy, gross, fake images of women. So to be clear, in my book, both Twitter and Elon Musk personally are complicit in a criminal money-making enterprise. Like That is how I see this. I don't see it as just disparate creeps posting deep fake images. To me, this is a criminal money-making enterprise that Elon Musk is actively engaged in. So here's how the whole thing works. 
So y'all know that Twitter blue subscribers that get a blue check are paying to, in part, have their content get more visibility on Twitter. And because Twitter offers payouts for posts that get like lots of engagements and lots of views on the platform, many of the people sharing those deep fake videos of Bobby have a blue check mark, which also means that they could be making money from that video. That is, if Elon Musk actually pays, as he says he is, we've talked about that quite a bit. And you even have people who are trying to boost the video's engagement by tweeting that it's the, quote, real leaked Bobby footage, as if to tell people like, oh, yeah, there's like fake Bobby videos floating around, but I have the real Bobby video. You're going to want to click here to see this real content. Or saying like, we'll DM the longer real video to anybody who shares this. Because the more people who share and engage, the more money they stand to make from Elon Musk's, you know, payment program. And so these people are really exploiting Twitter's lax rules, moderation, and pay-to-play engagement mechanisms to essentially create trailers to put on Twitter to get people to buy longer deep fake videos, which is why they're not keeping them on 4chan, right? So like a lot of these videos and all of this content, it starts on 4chan and then it gets like, you know, kind of a niche audience. But the reason why they're putting them on Twitter is because they want more people to see it because they have a marketplace. They then will like ask people to give them money in order to get more deep fake images. So essentially it's like, a coming attractions for AI-generated exploitative deepfakes of women. One person was offering to sell a longer fake video of Bobby for $10, payable via PayPal, according to the Washington Post. So this is like a business enterprise complete with advertising, platform support, and payment processors like PayPal. So we already have platforms like 4chan, which are you know message boards known for this kind of harmful content that are kind of fringe. But Twitter used to be very different from 4chan, right? Before Musk took over it. It's where journalists and elected officials are posting content. So the fact that we're seeing Twitter kind of become more like 4chan under Elon Musk is really telling to me, right? Like, it really seems like if this is going to be the kind of stuff that is tolerated on Twitter, it really says a lot about how far Twitter has fallen under Elon Musk's leadership. Genevieve O, oh, an analyst who studies deepfakes, says that Twitter is 4chan too. It's emboldening future malicious figures to coordinate toward demeaning more popular women with synthetic footage and imagery. Um, so I should say Twitter technically does ban non-consensual nudity, but there is basically no enforcement of that because the team that handles it, Musk basically like fired and laid off and gutted as soon as he took over. And I also just think that like, Elon Musk just doesn't care. Like, he could not signal that more. Um, if he says he cares, I think that he is lying because he knows that people are upset. But I just genuinely don't think he sees this as the, the big issue and the big threat that it is. Elon Musk doesn't care about women. <laughs> what? I know. I'm so I mean, he's, surprised. He seems like the kind of guy who would have a stellar track record when it comes to respecting women. Absolutely. That is definitely what I associate him with. A hundred percent. So after the Taylor Swift deepfakes went viral, y'all might recall that Musk was like, I'm going to open a whole team in Austin dedicated to content moderation for Twitter. Um, but the day before these Bobby Althoff videos went viral, Musk was just laughing off the need for any kind of real content moderations. He shared a post that called content moderation a, quote, digital chastity belt and a steaming pile of horse manure enforced only by digital tyrants, saying, 
Let's give a big middle finger to content moderation and embrace the chaos of the internet. You know who probably does not want to embrace this chaos? Women like Taylor Swift and Social Gomez and Bobby Althoff and any other woman or girl who has been targeted and depicted in these non-consensual images. It is just such a clown show over there. Like the fact that Bobby Althoff's name was trending on Twitter in relation to this was wild to me. Like the trends used to be moderated by humans who could like manually delete trends that were harmful or rule breaking. But of course, Musk fired the people who do that. So now a woman's name can be trending for hours on the platform. And the reason why it is trending is because of deep fake images of her on the platform. It's basically free advertising for this rule breaking behavior. And, you know, something else unique about Twitter is that it's the only platform that allows nudity. So with the rise of AI deepfakes, I I don't know, I just think that like, I don't know that Twitter is going to be able to really be responsible for sorting out what is consensual real nudity and what isn't. I just don't think they're really up for the task. Yeah. And it's it's a conscious choice that they're not up for the task. I think it's important to remember because again, like they this is a problem that could be fixed if they uh, you know, or at least sort of alleviated to some extent, I think, if they really wanted to. And it's clear that they do not care. I completely agree. And this is just my opinion. And I, I would be curious to know what folks think. I have a sense that whoever is making these deep fakes and then releasing them on Twitter specifically is choosing like a specific kind of public figure. I think they're choosing famous women who are perceived to be like annoying in some way. And I think it's, I think it's about kind of like almost like a test of like, well, you know, this woman is annoying or like she's everywhere. She's like oversaturated. So if I make a, a, a cruel, sexually humiliating deep fake of her, maybe people will like, like it. Like I almost, I almost feel like there's something about the women that they're targeting that is like, I don't know, maybe I'm way off base here. I think they're picking a specific kind of female public figure because they're not expecting the public to loudly decry it when it's someone who is perceived as like, quote, overexposed. So I think it's, I'm curious to see how this goes. I think that nobody deserves this. I think that even if it's somebody that that you think like, oh, this person is a billionaire, this person's very rich, I see them everywhere, blah, blah, blah. Nobody deserves this, right? Like, it's completely fine to not like somebody without making sexually humiliating content of them that is meant to take them down, humiliate them, objectify them, and remind them in the public that they do not have agency over their body and their choices. And so I think it's disgusting. I think it's even more disgusting that Elon Musk is essentially laughing this off as his platform becomes a unique vector for advertising this this kind of material. And I think that Elon Musk at some point needs to be held accountable for this. Like he can read this Washington Post article as well as I can and see how his choices have specifically turned the platform into a marketplace for this kind of behavior. And yeah, I guess I'll just mm-hmm. leave it there. Yeah, I, I want to add one more thing, which I think also it's, especially with like, you know, talking about COSA earlier on the episode, the problem isn't, nudity the problem isn't explicit material the problem is the fact that this is taken without consent this is material that is like literally manufactured 
without any consent, without any action on behalf of the person it's like for it, it like like I don't know. I mean, this is again like this is another discussion, but like I'm of the belief that like whatever like porn exists on the internet, nudity exists, people like should, you know, be able to access that. I think that is like a fair thing to say. Um but like the part of this that is disgusting and messed up is the fact that it is non-consensual and the fact that these are again oftentimes the same people that are you know supporting or like participating in efforts to crack down on sex workers that you know if you really just wanted to have like more porn in the world you would think you would just support sex workers and people that do that stuff professionally but um yeah, it's not like the problem here is it. And I think this is important to clarify again, too, with especially talking about the Cosa story, because I think that isn't like I can easily see how this sort of story would be twisted to be like, see, we just need to get rid of all. No, the problem is like this is an issue with deep fakes. This is an issue with uh, a lack of respect for boundaries and consent. And, uh, you know, this is about sexual violence. This is not. A condemnation of the fact that you know people are being portrayed a certain way or that nudity is like making its way onto these platforms you know yeah absolutely and we actually talked about this last week how like creeps are also using ai to like make reverse deep fakes that are also not okay where they women who consensually want to be in various stages of undress on the internet they use ai to cover them up it is not about sexuality it is not about you know, nudity, it is about taking away someone's agency without their consent. It's about telling them that their choices for their own body don't matter because we have the technology to strip you from that choice. And like you said, Joey, if you want to see nudity on the internet, God love them. There are no less than a million people out there who are in various stages of undress on the internet. But it's not really about that, right? It is about, I want this person who has not given me consent. I want them to know that I can depict them nude on the internet against their will without their consent. It is about power. It is about humiliation. It is about stripping women of their agency, not about like expressions of sexuality or nudity, like full stop. So I do have a little bit of good Twitter news for folks. So back when Elon Musk first bought Twitter and laid off a bunch of staffers, he was particularly cruel to the staff in Ghana, Africa. The Twitter office in Ghana had just been set up, so many of these staffers had moved from other countries to take jobs at Twitter, only to be let go with no notice a few months in after Elon took over. They were promised a month of wages under their contract, and under Ghanaian employment law, staff have to be paid out if they are laid off for redundancy, which these staffers were. But as y'all know, Elon Musk, a.k.a. Sheree, she don't pay. He doesn't pay. He doesn't pay his bills. He owes money all over town and doesn't pay. So these staffers threatened to sue to get their money. Twitter missed deadline after deadline and essentially ghosted them, probably thinking that these, you know, Ghanaian Twitter staffers would just shut up and go away. But they didn't shut up and go away. So after a year, they finally have gotten their payout. One of the staffers says, it is difficult when the world's richest man is owing you money and closure. I have to say, like, shout out to these staffers for staying on it. I'm happy they got their money. But I also have to say, like, watching Elon Musk do rich guy shit, like, oh, I'm going to Mars. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. While he is out here owing you money, that would chap my ass. 
But I guess it's like easy to do a bunch of rich guy shit when you don't pay your bills, when you can rack up a bunch of bills and not pay. Yeah. How uh, do you expect him to get so rich if he has to pay (laughs) for things like bills and labor? And I don't know. That's just too much for one guy. I mean, I can like go to a restaurant and like pop bottles and you know, get a private jet if I don't have to pay for it. Anybody, anybody can. If that's, if that's the secret to living a wealthy lifestyle, like anybody can do that. Just go rack up a bunch of bills and just not pay. <laughs> like you're onto something. And I have to give a major shout out to CNN's Larry Madowo for really staying on this story. He first reported it back when Elon Musk took over Twitter and stayed on this beat. So thank you for helping to get this accountability, Larry. Um, and I have one other quick piece of good news kind of for me specifically, which is that I feel like, you know, I've been trying to use alternatives to Twitter, like Blue Sky and um, Threads more. And I feel like I have gotten my first truly good bit of Blue Sky low stakes drama that Joey, if you will, we opened this episode with me explaining some drama to you. I would love to close with explaining a little bit of low stakes drama to you, if that's okay. Of course. Always here for the drama. So someone on Blue Sky... They unfortunately had a death in their family and they posted a picture of a woman who was wearing like a big hat and sunglasses who came to the funeral. And this person was like, "Um, this person crashed my family member's funeral and they ate a bunch of free food. And it wasn't until my family went up to them and was like, hey, who, who do you know here? Like, how did you know the deceased that we realized they were a funeral crasher? I'm so angry. And rather than people being like, yeah, that's really messed up for someone to do this there a lot of people were like well what if they just wanted a meal what if they were just lonely you're so rude not letting this person crash the funeral oh no wait no this is this is just i uh it's the twitter thing where if you're not oh my god no so this is how i feel like i know that this guy might actually be popping because you've gotten our first like truly deranged group response to somebody's like very legitimate complaint like what kind of asshole doesn't want a stranger at a family funeral <laughs> like so i think i think i don't know it, it it lifted my spirits to see this i was like oh yeah nature is healing we're, ha- we're having this kind of discourse again um and so yeah maybe blue sky really will be popping now that it is a place to have truly deranged discourse in one place you know what? It is a pillar of our society, and I'm I'm glad that's continuing. I'm glad I'm getting to hear everybody's unsolicited takes. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, give me your bad takes. I want them to wash over me, Joey. One person whose takes I always think are good are yours. Thank you so much for being here and helping us break down these stories. Of course, Bridget. Uh, happy to be here as always. Where can folks keep up with what you're up to? Um, you can find me on social media at, at, um, you know, on, on Instagram and Twitter for the moment, uh, did not yet make a blue sky, but I should be doing that soon. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Pat Not Pratt. That's P-A-T-T-N-O-T-P-R-A-T-T. Uh, you can also check out Afterlives, the Laylee and Polanco story, uh, as a series that I just worked on that wrapped up about a month ago. Uh, check out that Sminty episode that's going to be in the notes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere. So check out Joey's work. And thanks to all of you for listening. I will see you on the internet. 
If you're looking for ways to support the show, check out our merch store at tangodi.com slash store. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Edited by Joey Pat. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.